Alright, so this morning we are continuing our, our study through uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're in uh, Galatians chapter 5. We're covering the first 15 verses of this chapter. And the title of this morning's message is Faith Working Through Love. Faith Working Through Love. That'll make sense as we continue to, to go through this study and we'll see what we cover this morning. Uh, but uh, Paul's letter... Uh, he continues to uh, really make a plea to the Galatians um, to walk away from the legalism that the false teachers were teaching. And you remember how it was that he expressed himself saying that he was, so, he was astonished, he was surprised, he was bewildered um, at the fact that they had uh, so quickly deserted, walked away from the gospel that he had preached and taught them. And uh, so we, we continue that through this morning's message. Let's start out by reading the first, uh, well, what we're going to cover right now, and then we'll, we'll go through it. All right, so Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Oh, Heavenly Father, there's so much here. Lord, we can go through this and, um, and as we do... Lord, just in this short period of time that we have before us, I ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding. You would help us to see what you would, that, that, that which you, we need to understand and see and, and, uh, and take to heart, Lord, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would more closely resemble that which you expect of us, Lord, uh, a reflection of your glory. And so, Lord, uh, we commit this morning into your hands. We ask your, your blessing, your anointing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, Paul's letter to the Galatians is a plea for them to understand how they are saved by grace and are therefore not to live in a manner that demonstrates an effort on their behalf through the flesh to be made righteous before a righteous and holy God. In other words, we are only saved by grace, not works. To, to put it in simple terms, that's the bottom line. We are saved by grace, 
not works, not anything that we can do, no efforts that we can make, no amount of philanthropy that we can participate in, none of that will gain us acceptance into the heavenlies. It is only purely, completely by God's grace. Therefore, for us, how that ought to reflect in our own lives is that we should live lives that demonstrate a faith that is based on grace and with love toward one another because of the grace that we have been demonstrated. So we've been demonstrated grace, right? We ought to share that with those around us. And that's what we have before us. The Apostle Paul is drawing that out. The Bible tells us that the only way that we can truly demonstrate a true love toward others is to know and understand God's love. You know, the world today, um, they throw that, world, that, that word around, around quite a bit, right? That word love. Um, but do you think that the world really truly understands what that word means? I mean, think about it. We use it in terms of, um, well, Jake brought it up as far as mountain biking. I love mountain biking. And then we turn around and say, I love my wife. Hopefully, we love our wives much differently than we love mountain biking. Right, Jake? <laughs> amen. Veronica's saying amen, right? <laughs> yes, amen. We, we, we say we love all kinds of different things. But what I'm beginning to, and, and it seems like just, be, just when I thought I understood how it is that the world perceived love, uh, it just throws me for a loop, and there goes something else that they call love, and it's not love at all. Really, to understand love, we need to understand what God defines love as being. First John four nineteen through twenty one says, "We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. In this commandment, we have from Him." Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, now, that is something for the church. As there may be among us here, someone or more who, they're not walking with the Lord. They've never surrendered their lives to the Lord. But what they ought to see when they come through the doors is a love for one another. Because by that, they will know that we belong to him. So if we say we love our brother, and in the same breath, we can't stand him. What does that say about the forgiveness that we've been demonstrated? We can receive it, but we can't give it? That's nonsense, church. It shouldn't be. Right? And by the way, it's not us that are calling each other liars in that sense. It's the Lord. That says, if you say that you love God and hate your brother, then he says, you're a liar. You cannot love God and not love your brother or sister in Christ. You can't. You're demonstrating something else. The world doesn't understand this type of love. That is, that we can forgive, we can look beyond, we can cover by grace. The world does not understand that type of love. Because love to the world is always reciprocal. 
I will love you if, right? If they treat me a certain way, then I will love them. If they like what I like and make me happy and content and comfortable, then I will love them. If they don't, then I will not love them. Well, that's, that's a worldly type of love. Matthew 5, 43 and 44 says, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I point to the fact often, as I pointed you know, many times before, how it is that Jesus corrects the religious leaders and how it is that they had been interpreting the law, the word of God, up to that point and makes it clear what he had meant all along. But how is it that someone can do this? How, how is it that someone can forgive? How can someone... Uh, you know, cover things with love and grace. Because he just forgave me of everything. That's how. I think about how, um, you know, for myself, maybe, maybe I have this tendency to uh, forgive and forget. I truly forget. Maybe that's just another problem I have. But it's truly what the Lord wants for us. It's truly what the Lord wants. He desires that. It blesses and glorifies Him. It's something that we ought to practice. And so it comes back to understanding that grace that we've come to know and then living in it and extending it to others in service, that is, serving, serving them in a very tangible way, in a very practical way, in a very godly way. Freedom in God's grace is a faith that works through love, but it's also a faith, faith that is offensive. And that's the other thing that the Apostle Paul points out here. That this grace and this forgiveness, this love, uh, is, is something that is offensive to many people. And at the same time, grace does not look the other way. And what I mean by that is grace does not overlook sin. God's grace certainly didn't. It dealt with it. It took care of it. It was his sacrifice that covered it. So let's take a look at a walk in freedom. That, it's, that, that is covered in the first six verses. Walk in freedom. That is what the Apostle Paul is telling to the Galatians. And so the Lord is telling us this morning. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The Lord wants you to know. The Lord wants you to understand. And the Lord wants you to live this freedom. This is what Paul was making every attempt at helping the Galatians understand. And God is making every attempt at helping us understand today. Free from vainly working toward salvation. Hey, listen, we'll never achieve it. We'll never get there, no matter how hard we try, no matter how many, quote-unquote, good things we do. We'll never get there. Two important truths I want to draw your attention to in verse 1. Number one, who has set us free? Christ has set us free, right? Number two, we need to know and remain living in freedom. It's not something, you know, it's, it's there, it's an offer, it's a gift, but we ourselves need to be deliberate in standing fast in that freedom, in that liberty. 
So, first of all, we do not make ourselves free. Christ is the only one who makes us free. The world says that we are free to do whatever we want. Never denying the flesh of what it desires. But, of course, what we need to understand is that this is a false freedom. This is not liberty at all. This, in fact, is going back to bondage. It's a yoke of slavery is what we see here. The Apostle Paul is describing it as. It actually enslaves the person further in an empty, false pursuit of knowing a freedom that is not true. Uh, Let me ask you this. Perhaps not all of you have grown up in the church. I'm assuming that some of you um, did walk with the world prior to, you know, for some time before coming to the Lord. Were you ever fully satisfied, no matter what you did? Were you actually fully content? Did it truly, did your happiness like last for like forever, for a long time? I know personally it did not. No matter what I did, I I found myself feeling empty. It, It wasn't fulfilling. It was, um, it was like that carrot that's dangled in front of you, you know. It's like, well, if only, you know, you achieve this, you do that, you experience this other thing, then you're going to be happy and you're going to be fulfilled and, and content, right? And I remember pursuing that. And even after having experienced, done, all of those things, it just brought more emptiness. I... I I realized it was all in vain. It was a false pursuit. But Christ's liberty is a freedom from having to figure out how to be free of guilt and condemnation. That's really what the world needs is, is to have that type of peace. Free of guilt and condemnation that can only be found in Jesus Christ. I remember the moment that I came to Christ. And knowing that personally, supernaturally, as a spirit came and indwelt me, as I completely surrendered myself to Christ, understanding what he did on the cross. He died for my sins, past, present, and future. And he secures by his blood a place with him for all eternity. I I was overwhelmed. I was overtaken. And I was drawn by his love. And I remember knowing at that moment, freedom, freedom, like nothing else could give me, free of guilt and free of condemnation. I knew it in Christ. I was free from the penalty and power of sin and death. Secondly, we have an inclination to return to the yoke of slavery. That's what the Apostle Paul is addressing here in the first verse of this chapter. We have a tendency to go back and and get this yoke of slavery and put it right over us. Sometimes we get confused or believe the whispers of the world around us and are deceived, returning to the ways of the world or returning to religious efforts, rituals, thinking that those religious ways will bring us closer to God. And then they never will. They never will. I was reading a a commentary. D.L. Moody 
was, um, was recalling uh, a story of a slave who was um, somewhat confused. And it was just when the Emancipation Proclamation uh, was brought forth and the slaves were made free. And he was saying, on one hand, I'm being told that I'm free. When I gather together with, with all, all of the people, all, all the other slaves, they, they tell me, I'm, I'm free, we're free, that's it, we're free. Whereas I go back to my master and he tells me, no, you're not free. Because Abraham Lincoln had no right to do what he did. And so there was this confusion. It's the same thing with us as far as spiritually speaking is concerned. Um, We go to those who are in Christ and we hear we're free in Christ. We're free. We're free from the sting of death and the power of sin in our lives. But then we hear our old master speaking saying, no, that's wrong. He had no right to do what he did. He didn't have the power to do that. It's null and void. That's the whisper of the enemy. That's the whisper of the world. That's the whisper of the flesh. That's the whisper of that which seeks to destroy each and every one of us and bring us back into bondage. We shouldn't listen to that. We shouldn't be confused. Instead, we ought to stand firm. That is to stand fast. You have to knowingly and deliberately remain living in Christ's freedom. It takes effort. It it doesn't just somehow remain without vigilance and effort. No, we are to stand fast is what the Bible tells us. This is what the Apostle Paul is bringing forth before the Galatians and saying, "You, you need to stand firm. You need to fight. You need to be aware. You need to be sober minded. Because it doesn't just remain. It takes fight. Or by default and lack of effort to do so, you'll fall into a works mentality in life. In other words, you'll start going back. If, If you don't remain in that place to where you conscientiously know and live and walk out living by faith, knowing that you have been saved by grace, then you start doing these things that you think you have to work for God's good graces. Peter said, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Acts 15.10. It's interesting because this is the same Peter that the Apostle Paul had rebuked. We had gone over this back in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And now Peter is saying the very things that Paul had called to his attention. Paul goes on to describe this yoke of slavery, the keeping of the whole law. How many commandments are there? Sure there's only ten in the Old Testament? It's a trick question, I'm sorry. I set you up. Do you guys know actually how many commandments there are? Huh? 
613. Is that true? That's true. 613. You thought there were only 10. Negative. No. 613. Talk about a yoke of slavery, right? And if you, if you start demanding to follow one in order to find righteousness, you got to follow them all. Get busy, fellas. 613. And so Paul has explained that if they insist on living by the law to achieve righteousness, then Christ's sacrifice is meaningless to them. It's of no effect. It has no profit for you. None whatsoever. But how about, how about if we keep part of the law? Like we just focus on one area of the law and, and demand for everyone to keep that area of the law in, in order to be made righteous before God. But the, the other areas, we're going to go ahead and apply grace. No, he says you can't do that either. Because if you live by one, you live by them all. Two yokes on one animal with straps going to two different masters will lead to confusion. It's like, well, I have one yoke. I can add the other yoke. But the straps from the two yokes go to two different masters. They're not one. If you insist on living according to the law instead of grace, then know this. First of all, Christ will be of no advantage to you, no profit. His sacrifice on the cross is rejected and His grace is rejected So that's what it is. Secondly, you are separated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. Okay, so the wording is very important here. You have not fallen from grace. Okay? You have fallen away from grace. You have walked away from grace. You have put yourself under the yoke of the law and are therefore in bondage to the law. The wording is very important here. And here, it's not by immorality. Not, not immoral conduct. That's not what Paul is referring to. But legalism. This is a personal removal from Christ and the grace He offers. And perhaps you have even known at some point. You've known His grace. You've walked in it. It surprises me. It shocks me. It's like, why would someone return to legalism from when they had, at some point, been delivered from it, and then they want to return to it. Why? Because they've been duped. They've been fooled. I mean, personally, I grew up in the Catholic Church. And, and I can tell you that in those cathedrals and the, like the, um, the acoustics in it, have you ever heard like the singing in there? Oh, beautiful. Right? It, it's like... If you could picture like a sound coming from heaven, it's that, right? It's like amazing. And then you see how ornate, um, you know, these, these play, the buildings are, right? The detail, all of that. It truly is. As I look, it is beautiful, right? The gold. Um, Usually in the background, there's, it's just absolutely beautiful. And so I grew up looking at that and thinking that is what it's all about. The way in which they conduct their services, to me, 
That's what it was all about. And then when I realized at a certain point when I personally opened up the Word of God and it just started reading it. When I came to understand at a moment that all of that is just all external stuff. It doesn't match the glory that awaits us. Not, not a bit. That we are simply to walk by grace in faith of the hope that is before us in Christ. That we can be freed from, from all the, the rituals, the things, the laws, the, the legalism that sometimes man puts together and says you, you need to abide by this in order to uh, come into God's graces. Saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No other works. There is a lot of stuff that other denominations, I, I have to say they're false, teach us and have us adhere to. You know, whether it be the seventh day, right? Um, certain prayers that you have to pray in order to pray the dead into heaven. Please show me it here. You will not find it here. Right? You guys know that? Okay. And all kinds of other things. Only 144,000. Well, uh, there's, only, there's already been 144,000. So what about everyone else? Oh, they have an explanation for that too. Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, things like that. That's all, those are all things. And by the way, just do your own research. You know, I'm not sitting here hammering those in order to just like, okay, I want to be controversial and divisive. Um, I do want to be controversial and divisive. It's not that I'm appearing to, I am. And that is that I want to divide. I want to separate myself from those religions that have fooled people into thinking that if you do these things and follow this way, then you will find your way into heaven. And it's wrong. It's just plain wrong. I don't even want a partnership with them. I don't want my name put in the same place as theirs. I don't want it. I don't care to. The Apostle Paul was saying this was serious stuff. Let me me back up a little bit. God is saying, because this is the Word of God, God is saying this is serious stuff. Listen, in Christ, no works of the law count for anything. Circumcision or uncircumcision is what we have before us. None of it. For me, that was freedom. That was true freedom. I, 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 I didn't have to go through all of that. I didn't. We don't. You don't. No one has to. So in Christ, faith working through love counts for everything. Number one, a working faith is a real faith. Number two, a faith working through love is a real faith. Let's explain that, though. Whereas a faith that has no works is not a real faith. And a faith that doesn't work through love is not a real faith. It's got to be both. A faith working through love. In other words, 
Our faith has to be understood, known, not something that we grasp from the air, not something that we feel, but something that we know. What do you have faith in? When you say you have faith in God, what is that faith? What does that faith look like? Uh, What is the standard of that faith? What do you exactly stand on? And if you know, then you can explain it. You can say exactly what you stand on. But at the same time, faith has to be through love in order for it to be real. You know, it's not a head knowledge, but something that we live out by faith and by first loving the Lord and secondly loving each other. And also the Apostle Paul points out here, and, and it is in the spirit that we yearn for the hope of righteousness. You look there at verse 5, For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. I love this because the more we get to know the Lord, the more we want to be with Him. We yearn to know the fullness of our hope in Christ. We have this deep desire to be with Him. That's why the Apostle Paul could say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's why he could say those words. I got a text this morning early about a North Korean woman, right? It was a North Korean woman who, um, she said she was a believer, but she was denying her faith so that she wouldn't, you know, be put to death, apparently. Right? Is that, was that right, Eric? Something like that. So, and so, of course, Eric challenged all of us. What would you do? Would you deny? Right? I love that. What would you do? Let me, let me, t- let me answer, this, answer it this way. What would Paul do? <laughs> well, what did Paul do? Not what would Paul do. What, what did Paul do? Oh, guys, you know, uh, I'm going to get beaten again. I, I'm going to go ahead and deny it this time. He didn't do that, did he? He took it again. Go ahead. 39 times. Here we go. He was imprisoned, beaten, left for dead, persecuted by his own people. He never denied the Lord. Never denied the Lord. We need to understand as a people, persecution is coming. Can you see it on the horizon? I, I, I hope you do. This is not an alarmist speaking. This is just like, just look around us. As Christians, we're beginning to be the enemies. We are the enemies. It's like we're, we speak truth. And, uh, and we're the ones that are being told, uh, we're being uh, just, it's coming. It's coming. So we need to be strengthened, church. We need to be strengthened. We need to have some spines, some internal fortitude. We need to have some thicker skin. We need to not be so easily offended. And stand, just stand for the truth. Stand with Jesus Christ. Do not deny Him. Walk with Him. We ought not deny Him. Even if death comes. And here's why. As the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
I'm thinking, what can, you, you, can, you can beat down this body, this flesh. You can beat it down, but you will not take my spirit. You will not take me out of the hands of the Lord. And the moment, perhaps, you take the breath away from me, it wasn't because you, were, you, you could do it in and of yourself, but because you were allowed to do it, and I am now in the presence of my Lord. So, so be it. And so we yearn for the hope of righteousness. There is an intense desire and an expectation of righteousness by God's grace known in Christ when we surrender our lives to Him and receive forgiveness of sins and His righteousness through faith in Him. This is freedom. Walk in it. That's true freedom. To not be fearful of anything. Isn't that freedom? Freedom is offensive. Verses 7 through 12, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who, uh, who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. So one last word of strong, direct confrontation from the Lord to the Galatians is what we have here in these verses. The Galatians were doing so well. You can hear the disappointment in, Paul, in Paul's words here. Paul paint, paints a picture of a runner who's running well and on a good path. But then somehow that path being completely destroyed before them, leaving them no path to continue on. This is the picture that he's drawn before the Galatians and before us today. You were running so well. And that road was completely destroyed. It was impassable. In military terms, this would be a landmine, an ID. That suddenly determines the road impassable. Can't go through it. Secondly, this persuasion to seek to live by the law to be righteous does not come from the Lord. And he makes it very clear. Hey, listen. If you, think about what I said. I, I just said earlier about all of man's requirements for how to get to heaven. Okay? Because he's making it very clear. That does not come from him who has called you. In other words, it doesn't come from God. It, it comes from man. It doesn't come from God. Legalism is never from God. It's man's assumption that man can climb to God and not understanding that God has already reached down to man in Jesus Christ. Paul sets another metaphor or picture of the impact of even a little leaven, a little legalism. It leavens the whole lump. You can't have a, le a little legalism and a whole lot of grace because it's just, it permeates everything. Even a little leaven permeates every part of the lump. Leaven illustrates evil and legalism is the evil that hinders too many people in their lives knowing God's grace and living in freedom. It, it hinders them from that. It's that, it, that explosion before them makes that road impassable. Even if they've been running so well up to that point, legalism can... Stop you in your tracks. Done. But then as we continue, and Paul continues, he, he wants to confront them one more, one more time. It's kind of like this parenthetical phrase here we have in these, these verses. 
as he's moving along, and he stops. Boom. Who did this to you? Because then he expresses a little word of encouragement, right? By saying that he has confidence that they'll choose rightly. He can't force them, but hopes they'll make the right choice. And that's always, as, as a teacher of the word, as a pastor, I can't, I can't make anyone do anything. But I sure do hope that you make the right choices. That we make the right choices. That we walk according to God's grace. And Paul also points out that he is not preaching the law as he did in the past. Because he used to. He was a teacher. Oh, he could, he could definitely bring forth the law in a very powerful way. He's not preaching the law as he did in the past. If he did preach the law in the cross or God's grace, then the cross would lose its effectiveness because people would believe that they could work to earn their righteousness. So why the cross at all? Becomes completely ineffective. He says, that's not how I, I preach now. And you guys know that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be persecuted. Legalism is a serious thing. If they think circumcision is of advantage, and this is where you really, if, if you want to really know, you know how Paul feels about this, look at verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Just, any questions? That's how serious this is. It's, no, it's not something to toy with. It's not, you know, I remember growing up and, and then thinking along with, how many of you have heard, you know what, I mean, let's bring our kids up in, you know, in this religion or that religion. But when they get older, you know, they can make a choice for themselves. And, you know, every religion is okay. Right? How many of you have heard that? By show of hands. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's out there in the world. But like we have here, it's serious. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, if they, if they really think that circumcision is, is going to give them profit, be an advantage to them, then hey, take the whole thing off. Completely emasculate. Show yourself for who you are. And that, by the way, is, was considered at that time pagan worship. It still is today. Pagan worship. What I mean by that is, is to be in that place is completely, it's pagan worship. It's, it's not worship of Yahweh. It's not worship of the Lord. It's not. Paul was making it clear, very clear that legalism is no small matter. Today it seems that much of the church accepts it as being no big deal. We, we can't do that. Paul didn't see it that way. God doesn't see it that way. It makes our path impassable. It defiles our lives or perverts our true freedom in Christ. And it makes the cross irrelevant. Of no use, of no profit. True freedom is always offensive to the legalists and to the world. Always will be. Just know that. Lastly, we are free to serve. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
In the first verse we read, For freedom Christ has set us free. Here in verse 13 it says, For you were called to freedom. How then are we to live in freedom and grace? In God's grace. Number one, don't use it as a means to sin. Just don't do that. Freedom is a fundamental basic uh, basis for all Christian li- living. It, it's a foundation. It's basic. It's offered. It's there. And from this, we are to live to the glory of God. So, in response to the love that we have first been demonstrated by the Lord, in having Christ crucified, we are to love the Lord. We need to learn how to do that. And not lead lives that abuse this liberty. The measure of a man is not based on what he can't do when he is in bondage, but what he does when he is set free. The measure of a spiritual, godly man is based on how he responds when he has been set free. If a person comes to understanding they are free in Christ and from the condemnation of sin and goes out and sins freely, then they demonstrate their lack of really understanding, grasping what it is that they're, they've gained. They, they have completely misunderstood it. What it was that they were freed from to begin with, only returning to that which they were set free from. The power of sin no longer has power over the person who is in Christ. I know sometimes, you know what, we have that, that tug of war. We have that warring with the flesh, with the world, don't we? Even as Christians, we do. But let me tell you this, that it, it doesn't have the same power it did when you were not in Christ. It, it doesn't have that power. It's like, well, I need to go and, you know, do all these things. And no, you don't need to. All you need to do is is ask for forgiveness. Just know, I, I've done it myself, and I know a lot of other people that has, have simply confessed, repented, and then come to know freedom in Christ and just walk in it. I'm sure we have tons of testimonies right here of that very same thing. I'm not the only one. But it's not just conduct of immorality, but also legalism, which we're talking about here. And and I've seen, again, some people come to know God's grace and know freedom from religious requirements and a false gospel only to return to it. it. It just shouldn't be. Secondly, demonstrate this freedom by serving others. This is how we, we do this. Demonstrate others, or demonstrate this freedom by serving others in love. Matthew 22, 30, 37 through 40 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But, as he says, but if you act like animals and bite at each other, then know that you will devour each other like animals. You will consume one another. 
If you exercise selfish, self-centeredness, then that's what happens. And you will destroy each other. And he was saying, be careful. Don't do that. Not only will this destroy a fellowship, but it misrepresents the Lord. How do we live in freedom? Love God from a point of grace. Learn to love others and serve them also from a point of grace. Faith working through love. That's what it looks like. And that's just as, as the Apostle Paul was, was going against what had been uh, falsely taught to them, this religious, this legalism, he was also teaching them at the same time, hey, as you walk away from that and come back to this grace, just express that to one another. And by that, you glorify the Lord. That's truly faith working through love. This is why it's important to get into God's word on a regular basis, that we wouldn't be led astray by false doctrine and fooled by false teachers that require something God doesn't. That's true freedom. That's true liberty in Christ. Freedom in God's grace is a faith that works through love, but it's also a faith that is offensive, is what the Apostle Paul was pointing out, and doesn't allow for sinful living because it remains steadfast in the truth. And the question is, what will you do with the freedom you have in the grace of God? Will it be to worship God, bring Him glory, and bless others by serving them? And the question remains with you, and you are the only one that can answer those questions. How will you now live in response to the love that was first demonstrated to you through the sacrifice of the Son? knowing that we have been forgiven, that we know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You have been set free. How now will you live? That's up to you. Father, we thank you that you often remind us because we can go astray, we can, Lord, our, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, please forgive us and help us to remember your grace that no, not only brought us to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, but also continually. Lord, helps us to live our lives in, in ways that bring you glory, that honor that grace. And so bless your church, Father. Bless each person that's here. If there's anyone here who does not know you as, as Lord, as Savior, Lord, right now I, I ask, Father, that you'd move in their hearts, that they would be set free this morning, that right now, as, as even I'm praying for them, that they would simply cry out to you and ask for forgiveness and know that they can have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Lord, thank you for your patience, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.